Welcome to the Honest EP podcast. We're the podcast for health professionals and the wider community. Look at explore diverse ideas in health, ask some hard questions, and have some honest conversations. My name is Archie. I'm an EP based on Sydney's Northern Beaches. And joining me as always is allied health business owner, Andrew, who is not with me right now. He's about to ask a very inquisitive question to Mick Risk, a physio from iMove Physiotherapy and iMove U and Clinic Mastery and the Physio Network. That's a lot of things. We're about to talk about... Uh, social media and healthcare, and also lots of really good advice for new grad practitioners uh, across a bunch of professions. So enjoy it. See you later. I think there's, Mick, you, you're obviously from from running the iMoveU Facebook group, and, and I saw your, your post on there recently about this sort of divide um, and this statement. Like, I was listening to a podcast this morning from the Imperfects um, that was Hamish McDonald, which is a fantastic, mm. fantastic awesome. podcast. And he was talking about how social media has changed. Um, that, you know, social media has changed, but also we have changed mm. in the sense that um, the way that people, you know, five, six, seven years ago interacted with social media is different to the way that they do now. And it's a lot more, or could be a lot more polarizing now than it has been in the past. And there's, you know, a lot more people um, willing to, you know, sit behind anonymity and go hard. Um, I'm curious on on the way, because I'm a view's been around for, for quite some time in helping to support particularly you know, new grads coming into um, into their profession. I'm curious to, to hear your perspective on how social media has changed um, and how you're finding new grads are, are using social media to either educate themselves or participate in conversations or actually, like you said before, about actually sitting back and, and not engaging. Yeah. I don't know how it's changed. I, actually, I I started iMove Physio because my current private practice didn't want to get on Facebook, and that's the first year Facebook existed. And I'm like, we've got to be on this thing. We've got to be sharing what Physio does and sharing messages. Like, we need to do this. And they didn't want to do it. And I, there was probably other reasons, but it was a big reason because like, I feel like innovation is like a big value of mine. I like doing things. And then, and that, that was it. That was like, that, that was the reason I, one of the reasons I probably left and started my own business. I wanted to share good messages. I wanted physio to be out there. I wanted to use social media. Um, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'd be interested in the podcast's explanation into what's changed. I guess what, I guess what I see, what I feel on ground is that it does feel very black and white and it does feel polarizing and my perception from grads is they will use very definitive language and very definitive statements. And I, I don't know how to best handle that yet as like an owner and, and a leader in, in my clinic. Um, I think I spoke to Stephen Camper this morning on the physio network podcast, and he's done like, he's been on 1200 papers. His whole job is research. And he's, he actually said the same thing. He's like, the research is not black and white. It's all about probability and values. You don't see that at all online. Online, it's black and white. 
manual therapy doesn't work. If your therapist is saying this, run. Um, if someone is doing X, Y, and Z, run. If they've done this course, red flag. There's a lot of that very definitive language. And I even see that in the clinic, like younger therapists will be very direct in challenging me. Like, no, I would never say that. And I'm like, okay, it's quite confronting actually. And I think there's healthy versions of skepticism. And then I think there's unhealthy, like it, and maybe that comes from time experience, reading a lot of journals. I think if you're reading an Instagram post, you'll you'll likely parrot that Instagram post and it'll be definitive and that might come through in our language. My uh, The titled physio that works for me has read so many papers and I don't hear definitive language from him. He's like, well, this is when that could be relevant. This is when that could be relevant. Here's the probabilities. Here's the specificities. Hmm. I actually think that might also speak to the divide between physio and EP on the more ground level. Um, that that's that's what I see a lot, and then naturally the main thing that the arguments seem to be about is manual therapy because that's probably the biggest differentiating factor. Mm-hmm. Would um, j- just a, a clarification point there. Like, what what is titling? Titling, I don't know exactly, um, but Good. you go you go back to uni and. It's a very intense one or two years and you you basically learn from the handful of physios who've gone through and done the titling and the specialization. You can choose whether you do it in MSK or other areas. Um, so it's further study, further advancement. And the physios that do that are wonderful and they, they're brilliant and they tend to really nail their diagnostics and they tend to really have a good grasp of the research and they tend to be able to think very critically about their clinical decisions using those probabilities and those contextual factors. Mm -hmm. I find that they don't use that definitive language. Um, So yeah, and there's, there's, it's a very hard thing to do and it's, um, it's great. And I'm saying that because I have said in the past that, you don't need titling to be a great physio. And I genuinely believe that. That's obviously made some people angry who have had titling, but is not what I meant to say, if you've done titling, it's a waste of time. Every physio I've met who's done titling is really switched on and the way they think about it is really impressive. They probably have a uh, better grasp of what's good information, what's not good information, and then how to filter and, you know, criticize the information better uh, yeah. probably less likely in fact on social media to to see a green tick and a, and a red cross and go well I'll do the green tick thing and not the red cross thing yeah yeah absolutely they're, and they're, they're super switched on with I think they're super switched on with how to take all those contextual factors that are important in someone's ecosystem and choose a starting point mm. and that comes from not just experience but reading a lot of literature yeah. um that's what I notice anyway. And, and that would make sense, right? Because if you've read enough literature, you you would have a better understanding that if someone makes a bold claim on Instagram, um, that there should be uh, a reference to back it up. And then you don't just take, oh, there's a reference, therefore it's correct. Uh, mm. It's like, no, no, read the reference. See mm. see what see what's in there. Um, yeah. I like 
I have an unrelated example about this recently where uh, my partner was reading a book uh, that's about uh, trauma and its inf influence on health uh, in the US and mm. opens with a stat saying one in five Americans uh, were sexually uh, abused as a child. Um, I was like, wow, that is a horrifying stat to read. I was like, what, what's, you know, what's the study? What's, uh, where have they got this information from? It's like, yeah, yeah, look, there's all the references in the back here. I was like, oh, okay. What is, you know, what's the study? Let's look at it. And it's like, oh no, they've done a study where they sent um, questionnaires to 9,000 people in San Diego uh, at a free healthcare clinic. And then the guy in the book has then said one in five Americans out of that. That's yeah. like, well, that's a, that's a big jump to go from um, that one place to another place there. But yeah. it's kind of what chucking a reference on an Instagram post is like, uh, that people go, look, there's evidence. Here's all these studies uh, that, that back up my, my green tick and my red cross. <laughs> yeah. like, what do those studies actually say? Do they actually back up what you're doing or is that in wraps? I think we're getting, I will say, maybe in how it's changed, Andrew's original question, the last year, I do feel like there are people getting in the weeds a little more and using statements like, when is this helpful? When might not this be helpful? Or, you know, I've picked these articles, but there might be articles that say the opposite thing. Um, and they're getting more traction, which is nice. I think one I saw today is the skeptical physio. That's the, the name um and he does really long detailed posts and provides kind of both sides and i really like that and it's good to see that that's getting clicks and shares uh, because i think there was a feeling that you can't be popular and grow the algorithm unless you're being divisive but yeah. it's good to see that's potentially not true and maybe that's because we're changing as a profession too maybe all of us are learning that that's the good stuff one one of the coming back to that podcast one of the um, points that they made about how social media has changed is the power of the algorithm where mm. if you click on something and you like it or you engage with it, you will see more and more of that content. Yeah. So you are just like within your social media, you are just reinforcing the beliefs that you have based on mm. some, some algorithm that sits in a, I don't know, a server somewhere. <laughs> Um, I don't know where these things sit. Good understanding. Um, I'm old. <laughs> Software. <laughs> help me. No, no, no. You've got to keep going to Um So then it becomes really difficult, right? Because if you get on social media for three or four hours a day and you are constantly reinforced a, a side of a story, whether it be, you know, a physio story or a political story or a religious story, um, it's very difficult to start seeing the other side and we're creating kind of more divide because instead of being able to have a more um, a more philosophical debate, because people have been told again and again and again that you are right, they are wrong, it's almost like you are attacking somebody personally when you yeah. challenge a belief that they have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just had a social media idea. Um, you, you, it, the algorithm deliberately says, this is the opposite to what you think. We're going to show you the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you, you liked, you liked um, Adam Meekins. Here's 
uh, Urson, the modern manual therapist, and yeah. you get both. Yeah. That'd yeah. be really cool. <laughs> um, well, here's Joel Seaman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was something, you said something there that really, it got me. It, it, I, it came, I had a really strong thought and now it's gone. I've lost it. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> it's um, really good. Oh, it'll come back. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I, I feel, I feel challenged because you know the APA's come out with this statement and then they're trying mm. to right and and we are trying to like particularly with new grads because so much of our audience is is a new grad um, audience that we're trying to show both sides of the story. The two things can exist at the same time. Like you yep. can be an, an active based practitioner, but also manual therapy is okay. Like you're not going to, you're not going to have an identity crisis by saying like maybe you would benefit from some manual therapy. That's it. And that's, I just wrote down that what came to me was, I'll give you guys a real, a real life working example. So I now interview young physios and I ask them who they follow. I'm like, tell me the, the first three that come to mind. And it, this is this is purely based on experience. I have no evidence. This is my bubble of 10 years of owning a clinic. But when they say two or three brands, I instantly know what their first three years is going to look like. And it's like, it's not to, we shouldn't pigeonhole people like this, but it's been absolutely crazy, the patterns we see. And in in physiotherapy, and I love Adam Meekins, like that's why I'm joking about it on a, on a joking level, but he's a great example. Um, and I had this crisis as a physio too, like two or three years in, I freaked out. Nothing I learned at uni was real. Everything works. Nothing works. What am I even doing? Am I helping? Then I went to Adam's course and then went, okay, this is the answer. You know, hands off education, be a movement coach, um, habit support. And now I've kind of landed back in the in the middle somewhere. But I know if you follow three or three or four physio pages, I know you're not going to do as much manual therapy. I know that patients will cancel on you. And and that's not good either. And so and the real life working example is we have a clinic um in Southwest Sydney that that works with a lot of runners. And we've had a, a couple of team member changes there. And the new team, I would say, are more of the, the younger generation, the hands-off approach on the physio spectrum anyway. And I reached out to two or three run clubs who we'd been working with for seven years. And one of the guys was nice enough to call me. And he said, hey, Mick, I, like, I just thought you should know. Like, you know, the run group talks, right? And I just want them to know, I want you to know what they're saying about you. And they're, they're calling you guys um, a hands-off clinic. And we don't want to come every two weeks to just be told the exercises we do. Um, and so that's, to me, that's a real life working example of you're a physiotherapist, you follow a few pages, you're not completely hands off, but most of the messaging you're getting is that manual therapy is low value. And then that translates in some way to your practice. These guys still did hands on. They just didn't do as much or took it as seriously, or maybe it's in the messaging, the words they're saying. Now, all of a sudden, this whole community who we used to help get stronger um, and enjoy their running, their response is, 
we see the Cairo once a week and she offers Pilates. So we get our strengthening there. Yeah. Now, luckily that Cairo is awesome and we would refer to them anyway. Um, but who knows what that could be that, you know, that could be someone who's just doing dry needling and saying, you have to come for the next two or three years. It could be someone who does that and offers no strength work. And that's a real life working example of like the push against manual therapy, how it's a little bit black and white and how the algorithm that you were saying, Andrew, can just infiltrate your thoughts, your actions, your belief and your words. And then all of a sudden you're not helping the patients. And if you're not meeting patient expectations and then they're canceling, you could be the best, most evidence-based therapist in the world, but you won't make a change. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's like, that's the real life. Oh, I wanted to go back to what you said, Andrew, at the start. You said EPs are a really tight-knit community. I I think because of the modality that physio offers, I don't think we're that tight at the moment. And I think this valuing skills series has come at an opportune time where physio is a little bit divided and then EPs are really bound and strong together. So you've got this small group who's like, this is crap, let's go after them. And then you've got physios who are fighting themselves. To me, this is the perfect formula for an overthrowing of the empire, which is great. <laughs> right? Right? Like that's how you destroy the Roman Empire. Like it's it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, and it, this, again, like way back on iMoveU early days, I did a video called like a, a Physio versus EP. And we spoke to this. Like I think I said like EP is going to take over Physio if Physios keep going down this path. Like infighting arguing low value treatments um and it's great it's good for eps it's good for physio if eps do a great job and get this momentum and it wakes physios up that can also be a good thing mm. Mick, i want to go back to something you said mm. uh, earlier when you're talking about the southwest sydney clinic mm. uh, it came back to you know people coming in with an expectation and then not rebooking mm -hmm. uh, as as someone who trains a lot of new grads what do you think are the most important things in an initial assessment for a new grad to do to make sure that they do get to a point that they can actually help a person by seeing them more than once? Um, there's a lot. Uh, asking what they expect and what they want and what they've had in the past. Hmm. Um, asking that not just at the start, but during consult, at the end of consult, and in multiple consults, like, you know, did you get what you came for today? Did you ex did you expect this kind of treatment? What parts of this treatment did you like? How are you feeling about being able to do those exercises together? Did you find the manual therapy helpful? Mm. Um, all of those things. I think that's probably number one. Um, what else that would help? I think not doing too much is a common theme. I think saying too much and doing too much. So, uh, those physios that I was describing will tend to overprescribe exercises in session one. Mm -hmm. um, and we know that our patients don't love exercise as much as we do. And we know that compliance and adherence can be tricky. And most of the exercises we prescribe are pretty boring. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm a big advocate for doing a lot less in the first two or three sessions. It's all about rapport, getting to know them, what they love, their social history, what their goals are and really building something out for them that matches their goals. Um, because some people really some people really value healthy aging now. We're, we're noticing this trend, like 40 to 60-year-olds are coming in saying things like, um, you know, my father had a fall, my mom had a fall, and 
you know, when I run with the kids or the grandkids, like I get a sore knee. And maybe that's Joe Rogan's influence and like the really weird genetic stuff that he's doing, right? Like, I don't know. But I've never heard more people come in and ask that stuff. And that's actually where we can be really powerful. Like that's where exercise can really change people's lives between 40 and 70, like healthy aging. Um, So not over-prescribing. And I do think we're talking too much. My my wife had a great session with, with our clinic and what she noticed was, we was we were spending like 10 or 15 minutes in this really formal interview. And that was a bit of a reflection from when that patient called us and said, it just feels like you're talking to us and giving us squats. And if a patient expects manual therapy, and that's a big part of what the physios do, Saranga's reflection was, why don't we help them with that sooner so we can do the service part of what we do and make people feel nice because that's going to happen at some point anyway. And let's have the really good conversations on the bed. Mm. And that's even I was challenged by that because I made it this thing and part of my identity that really good physios, we're not going to go straight to the bed. That was actually something I took away from a course is like, if we have a bed there, there's an assumption that we're going to be passive and get them laying down and that's not good. But again, that lacks nuance and it makes no sense. We can still do all the great things while we're rubbing someone's hammy. Mm -hmm. And it's actually the really powerful part of physio. Like, why not do the service thing and make people feel good, help people feel good and get that good information, have a great chat, build rapport. Um, so that's the other thing I'm noticing, like an over-delivery of interview, education, talking, too many exercises. That's a perfect formula for someone to say, I thought I was coming in for a rub. I'm not going to rebook. And that's what most people say when they come to physio. <laughs> they, they, I just thought I'd go to the physio to get a rub. Like people still say that, which grinds our gears. But if you don't make patient expectations, you're not going to hit the other two circles. Absolutely. So what's the point? Wow, that's great. Especially in that first session where uh, people are probably spending longer there and, and paying more. And yep. if they pay more uh, to not get the thing that, that, that the only thing that they really wanted in the first place, you know, what, why would I come back? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it goes back to that. I just thought about the your friend who had the console. Like maybe... Maybe that was, and this is what I mean, it probably wasn't a good consult, just say that first, but maybe what Andrew's saying about like lacking the nuance on social media, maybe that patient said, I've had tape there and it really helps. Yeah. And yeah. And, and maybe um, the therapist did some kind of lat release and it really helped mm-hmm. and that he didn't want to overload them with exercises because he thought, okay, I, I think I've given him good advice, good education, and he's just going to take out this activity and he'll probably, his natural history will get him there maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I mean, it's like that nuance is missing online. We're really quick to say this clinic did that or this group said that thing, they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'm seeing online that I'm finding like really challenging and, and hard to see. So lack of nuance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> lack of nuance. Yeah. Seems to be the main takeaway with social media with valuing skills things and uh, with new grads' understandings of clinical reasoning is a lack of nuance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's it's like, and then the second part is, is social media the place for nuance and long conversations? Oh. No, no. I wrote out that post the other day and tried to put it on Instagram and okay. the app crushed three times and then I had to do it in three parts. I'm like, so I can't actually have the conversation I want to have, right? 
I so almost then, missed part two because I didn't know there was a part two coming. And then because I never built my platform on Instagram, I didn't know you could pin a comment and then I had to Google that. And that's just like generational thing, which says I'm really old. <laughs> I just skipped. It's weird. I skipped Instagram and Twitter and I went straight to TikTok and YouTube shorts. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's weird. I don't know how to use Instagram. So you're missing the the 25 to 35 age bracket then. Uh, exactly, which is our target audience. So it's yeah. ridiculous. Like I'm doing the wrong thing. And that's why I'm in views like full of old physios now, which yeah. is great. It's wild. <laughs> There's no runners coming in but yeah. who are 35 years old. That's no, no, it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. Wow. Mm. We've been we've been talking for, for a while. I'll keep going. Um, we haven't touched on crypto yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Is crypto on the way up right now or, or is it? Dead? Yeah, we're back. Oh, we're back, baby. Yeah. yeah. That I mean, financial advice. I've been seeing 10% increases on, on a <laughs> weekly basis. So we must be back now. Not, not, not financial advice. Don't Wait, do it. Everybody jump back in and, yeah. so I can sell. <laughs> no, no, I'm holding on. We're holding on. Andrew, anything else you'd like to talk about today? Oh, so many things. things. So, so many things on there. If you guys have time, I'm happy to, we can turn it into three episodes. Oh dear. So how, how do you then help new grad physios navigate this? Because like Archie mentioned before, from an EP perspective, like we, there is, there is really one tool here. It is exercise. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and for physios, there's, there's, there's a couple of tools that, that are kind of on the, on the table there. Yeah. Um, I imagine that you get some questions about like, what what should I do? What like, how do I work with this person? How do you kind yeah. of mitigate those questions? It's it's hard because a lot of it is. If we go back to manual therapy, a lot of that is the subjective and the qualitative. And it's feeling based. And then it almost takes it out of the scientific realm, which is tricky. Like if something makes someone feel good, should we do it? And does that have a place in healthcare? I have a great chat with Steve Collins about this with the the medical side of what we do and the service side of what we do. And there's there's kind of two parts. So I try and explain that. I, I usually touch on that. Um I usually just share my experience and say, like, if we're going to be that hands-off, patients won't come back. And that's not going to work. Like, it's not going to work for the patient. And also, to be really blunt, it's not going to work commercially or for the business. And those two things can coexist. Like, it doesn't have to be, oh, you're just doing that for the business so it's not good for the patient. Um, That's the main thing. I think... Helping people feel good along the way in an evidence-based journey is not a bad thing. Absolutely, yeah. And getting short-term changes is not a bad thing. Um, And there may be some part of that, is there some part of that short-term relief that helps them in the middle to long-term? I I don't know. I think there's a lot of evidence that shows you don't need manual therapy to get long-term changes. Um, Yeah, and then I try to show them. Like, I'll try to show them, like, look, I'll do this on you. Do you feel better? Do you feel lighter? Do you move nicer? And if you move nicer, are you likely to go and do more or maybe do a bit more of the exercise you were prescribed? 
Um, that's the other part of it is like we don't get aches and pains and niggles generally when we're 22 to 25, right? So it's like a lot of um, that's another big interview question for me is like, have you been injured and have you been to a physio or seen an EP? Because I came into this with a double ACL and I knew how helpful manual therapy was for me because they took my hamstring graft on both. And that stings. Like to have your hamstring taken out and try to do these exercises, like it actually was a stinging feeling and manual therapy took that away. Um, And then I was more able to comply to my early stage exercise, which probably compounded, affected to the middle stage and the late stage. And that could have taken one or two months off my return to sport in which I did my other ACL in the first game back. (laughs) So So it obviously didn't work for me. (laughs) <laughs> I just undid I just undid my whole story. You you were too desensitized by the manual therapy. <laughs> yeah. To the threshold. Yeah. And I think on that point there, I feel like sometimes the word placebo gets vilified to like it's a bad thing. And yeah. we shouldn't be doing placebo treatment. It's like, well, yeah. placebo is a good thing. Like that's means you're getting an effect from something that is not necessarily having to have a, a physiological change in the body. Like, mm. that's great. Uh, why wouldn't we take advantage of that? Um, and as long as you're providing with the right narrative, uh, then why not? It's like, yeah. take, take advantage of these, these tools you have available that can make people feel good. And if making people feel good is going to keep them engaged, like you said, then that's awesome. If you are only making people feel sore and have DOMS, uh, and be tired. Uh, oh, good. Good luck to you. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a yeah. tough, tough time out there getting people to want to keep coming back to you. Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, me. I totally agree with you there. Thank you. Uh, that's the end of part two. We're going to be back with part three, where I ask Mick and Andrew to talk about their perspective on business in healthcare. What's it like on their side of the coin? We don't hear that very often. Uh, So come back for part three soon to hear that.